Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Our lives are ordered by our memories, some good, some bad, by traumas maybe, by the days, the weeks, the years. And we've, as we were talking this morning about the deep time of civilization, that the formation of the geological formation, the planetary formation, it can dwarf the scale of humans. On the other hand, scientists are now calling our age the Anthropocene age. And the idea of anthro being central there, as humans are having long-term impacts on the planet. One of the most chilling traces of the Anthropocene is the global dispersal of radioactive isotopes since the mass thermonuclear weapons testing. And so we've all got radioactive matter, I guess if you were born after 1963, in our teeth there's radioactive matter. They say the half-life of depleted uranium is around 4.5 billion years, roughly the same age as the Earth. And that of plutonium in Chernobyl's nuclear reactor is 240,000 years. And we know in this nuclear age, we kind of have a glimpse of the apocalyptic possibilities through global nuclear destruction or slow global warming. In his book, in both the Gospel and in the book of Revelation, John brings what we call an apocalyptic outlook. But what he means by apocalypse, it's a very different perspective on this kind of apocalyptic understanding as we might think of it. His is not simply a picture of destruction, but of renewal and of recreation. And so in this, the Gospel of John is very different from the other three Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels. They're summing up the life of Jesus and very much follow one another. But John's sequence is changed up. And not only that, but the abstract or theological nature of the book, you know, from the prologue, in the beginning was the word, is very different is called apocalyptic literature. It's a type of literature that's there in Judaism and John is carrying on this kind of apocalyptic picture in the life of Christ. In this apocalyptic fashion, he bends time and space and sequence. He depicts creation's beginning with the word of Christ. And then he talks about it is finished, which is actually the words that God says on the completion upon creation. But it's also in the book of John at the end of the book when Christ pronounces it is finished upon the cross. And so the book begins and ends where the creation story begins and ends in Genesis. The cross marks a new age, a new kingdom. It completes a dwelling place, as John pictures it. And so Jesus says the temple destroyed and raised, you know, uh, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And of course John explains he means the temple of his body. 
And this then is connected to the tabernacling presence there in John chapter 1 verse 14 that God tabernacled with us. That's the image, you know, of that tent that Moses carried around in the wilderness. But then also there are the pictures in John of the wellsprings of creation, you know, the water of life. It's there in chapter 4, it's in chapter 7. But this is imagery that's actually taken from the apocalyptic literature, like Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel's description of the temple, there is this water of life, or wellsprings, or the light of the world. And they're made available, of course, in the temple, in the household, in the family of God. But Jesus says, I am the light. I am the water. And so John's gospel is apocalyptic in that one world order and age is displacing another. And not in the old sense of apocalypse, not in the sense of an apocalyptic world destruction, nor even in theology when we talk about apocalypse, we're often talking about simply the end of the world or the second coming of Christ that John is describing an end of the world that's occurring in the lifetime of Christ. There's the end of one world order and the beginning of a new world order. And the cross is the point where this new age, this new structuring of heaven and earth, and this entry of God into the temple of creation, it's with Christ that this is enacted. There is then also, you know, the word apocalypse has the idea of unveiling, a revealing. And there is this unveiling of the scriptures. What scriptures? Well, the Hebrew scripture. You know, in the New Testament, when they refer to the scriptures, they mean what we call the Old Testament. You know, in Paul's description, the Hebrew scriptures remain veiled outside of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, he says, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. That is that Christ lifts the veil. And now we can look at scripture in a new way and understand it. And so John's gospel unveils the riddle of the Old Testament. It really doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold together apart from Christ. But this recognition of Christ as true temple. He's the true sacrifice. But in light of scripture... This also makes sense of the life of Christ. That is, two things are coming together. We understand who Christ is in light of the Hebrew Scriptures, and we understand the Hebrew Scriptures now in light of Christ. And so the riddle of Jesus' words and actions, even in the Bible, you know, that he'll say something and nobody knows what he's talking about. And in John, we'll often have a note, and it'll say, well, this is what he was talking about. That as it first appeared to the disciples, they're confused and then it's unveiled in light of the scripture or in light of Christ. The two things throwing light on one another. And so the veil has been lifted. And this is a kind of apocalyptic unveiling of both Christ and scriptures. So as John reads Israel's history in light of the work of Christ, but also the beginning of creation then. Everything is changed up. And that's the way the gospel begins. In the beginning, that we have a new understanding of creation. And in this apocalyptic perspective, 
The dramas of both heaven and earth unfold simultaneously. You know, when we say apocalyptic, we often have all a kind of heaven's eye point of view. But in John, these two dramas are really singular events in the life of Christ. Not that heaven and earth are separate, but the two come together in the perspective of the one, Christ, from heaven come to earth. He joins heaven and earth, particularly as he's stretched out on the cross. That that's the hour, that's the point of glory. And so events, which in and of themselves, you know, are maybe seeming even to the disciples tragic or meaningless, they become filled with an inexhaustible depth of meaning in light of this passion of Christ, in light of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so John is using this imagery throughout. First of all, you know, when we think about the temple, what is the temple? Or when Christ comes into the temple, for the Jews, the temple was representative of the cosmic order. It represented all of creation, and really all of the key stories of the Hebrew Bible are incorporated into the temple. There is the picture that the capstone holding back the waters of Noah's flood is actually under the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies in the temple. It's the place of Abraham's sacrifice. It's the site of Jacob's dream of a ladder leading from earth to heaven. It's from this site where God, in the beginning, he hovered, the spirit hovers over the waters, and then there's the creation of the four waters coming out of Eden, bringing life to the garden. It's thought that the center of that place is the temple, and that the garden is located just beyond the walls of the temple. And so Jesus' identification, you know, he's going to use this language, he's going to talk about himself as the light of the world. This is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's standing in front of the temple, and the temple is lit up at this season. He's going to talk about himself as the water of life. And of course, they have this imagery of the wellsprings of creation coming from beneath the temple. And Christ is saying, well, I give you this water of life. It's thought in the beginning of John when he encounters Nathaniel and Jesus says, you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, oh, you're the Christ. He says, you'll see much greater things than these. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That is, he's referencing back to Jacob and saying, here is the fulfillment of Jacob. Here is the true Passover sacrifice, which is actually a theme in John. We can mark the Passovers in the ministry of Jesus. And the final Passover is on the eve of his crucifixion. And so John is picturing this incorporation of a new humanity into the temple of the body. Through faith, then believers receive the spirit. And this is also a very apocalyptic kind of idea that the age of the spirit has this discussion with Nicodemus in chapter 3 that people are reborn. They become members of the family of God. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you in the, there is a house. And actually the word here he's using is oikos, is family. I'm preparing, you're a part of the family of God. And so this recognition is gained, not by reading from scripture to Christ, 
The gospel story, that is, precedes the story of the Hebrew Bible. In, in fact, it's only through the gospel that scripture is really constituted as such. Now it makes sense that with Jesus' glorification, that belief in scripture comes into being in a new way because we acquire a link to belief in Jesus' words and deeds with the Old Testament. And so time has changed up in that all of time, I mean the Old Testament time, creation, that it changes up in relation to the work of Christ. And so there is not a linear unfolding of history from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But time, in fact, flows backwards from the gospel into the Hebrew scriptures. John and Paul, they don't move from law to gospel. In fact, that's precisely what they're resisting. That's what their enemies are doing. Their enemies are wanting to read who Jesus is in light of the Hebrew Bible. But John and Paul are saying, no, it's just the opposite. We read the Hebrew Bible in the light of who Christ is. And for both then, there is a vertical invasion. You know, Paul talks about in Galatians, the gospel came through an apocalypse of Jesus Christ in 112, rather than by being taught by a human being. That is, Paul has this encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. And the gospel in John is from Christ, who is from above. And so there's this invasion from above that is inseparable from this unveiling, this apocalyptic unveiling of Scripture, through which the Bible provides the words and images in and by which we understand, we apprehend, oh, this beginning in which the gospel is proclaimed. And it's not only the Bible that's telescoped, the life of Christ, the way that John tells it is going to be told in a very different order. John's telling, you know, it's actually the end is present in the beginning, and the beginning is understood through the end. Chapter 12 in John, uh, if you'll turn there. It may be a key passage, and the singular event of the cross involves judgment it enfolds the casting out of the ruler of this world it describes the glorification of Christ and he's going to say that this is the universal appeal of the gospel look at verses 30 to 33 Jesus answered and said this voice you know God speaks this voice has not come for my sake but for your sakes now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this, John puts in a footnote, to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And in the same chapter, in chapter 12, Jesus announced that the hour had come, you know, and remember at the feast in Cana that his mother comes and asks a favor and says, woman, you know, my hour is not yet. And so John is marking this approaching hour. And in chapter 12, we see the hour has arrived. The hour in which he says the son of man, this title from Daniel, the son of man is to be glorified. 
It's a reference to Jesus' death on the cross. When I am lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. And Jesus compares his death in verse 24 to the death of a grain of wheat, which after falling into the ground produces many other grains of wheat. He declared in verse 27 to 28, he says, It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so this lifting up, it's thematic in John, it reveals the identity of before Abraham was, I am. Here is the ego a me. Here is the tetragrammaton. So Jesus says, when you lift up the Son of Man, this is chapter 8, verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. You remember the Roman soldier at the cross says, surely this was the Son of God at the crucifixion. Here is the realization that Isaiah actually depicts it. He predicts it that through the lifted up servant, you may know and believe that I am. Again, the ego a me in Isaiah 43.10. Here too in Jesus' explanation is the revelation of Daniel 7, 13 to 14 rather, uh, of the Son of Man, this one who is given dominion over all peoples in an everlasting kingdom. In John 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus seems to represent one of these Jews who has a kind of veiled understanding. Jesus begins to talk about being born again. Well, actually, that's a theme in the Old Testament. Many people have a new name, a new understanding. There's a picture of a new birth. And yet Nicodemus seems completely ignorant of the topic. He says, you mean I have to return to my mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus seems to think Nicodemus is just incapable of receiving things of the Spirit. And here too then he uses this imagery of being lifted up and he refers to Moses in verse 14 to 15 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then in verse 13 no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so apparently there's only one mode of ascent, one means of being lifted up, and of course it's through the cross. But in John's depiction of the spiritual effect of this lifting up, we're already seeing the effect in the conversation with Nicodemus. John is written from the perspective that these things have already happened. The Son of Man, he says in verse 13, ascends to heaven on the cross, but in some sense, there is a picture of a spirit, the paraclete is already there, enters into this conversation. And the paraclete makes Jesus present on earth as the Son of Man who binds together heaven and earth. That is, even in the book of John, I don't think we should read this story as if it's simply, oh, this happened and this happened, but John is folding the end in the beginning. He explains himself 
then as the one sent, you know, this is the great passage we've all memorized, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's in this conversation with Nicodemus that he then begins to talk about himself as the love of God revealed. And so this lifting up, this realization, it's a kind of hermeneutic key. You know, it's there in the beginning of John. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is the fullness of the word of the cross. That is, we already have the gospel in the Logos. This is a gospel told in light of the Spirit. You know, if you read the other gospels, there is not this recognition from the beginning of who Christ is. And the sayings of Jesus are kind of riddles. And there's this hidden idea of hidden messianic figure. But in John, from the very first verse, here is the Messiah. And this is the realization throughout. And of course, this is the picture in John that when the Spirit, the paraclete, comes, he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And so where the synoptics picture this insight as beginning, you know, actually it's with Luke 24. That remember the two on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, they encounter the stranger who explains the scriptures. He opens the scriptures to them. And of course, this stranger is Christ. And as he opens scripture to them, their hearts begin to warm within them. And then they sit and break bread and then they recognize, oh, this is the Messiah. But in John, there is this messianic recognition from the beginning, from the prologue in which the Logos is complete. You know, even John the Baptist in chapter one says, here is the Lamb of God. Philip informs Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael himself concludes, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And John the Baptist recognizes, even before Jesus explains it, here is the one who is from above. And so Jesus' glorification or being lifted up, it describes his death, but I think the movement is his death, his resurrection, maybe inclusive of his ascent, his exaltation, and even the multiplication of disciples. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. This sums up the gospel. The one who is lifted up. You know, the imagery is of glorification, but the route to glorification is through the cross. And so this hard saying finds its fulfillment when Jesus has been lifted up in a kind of upward sweep of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and then the life-giving spirit. It's only on that occasion that the spirit comes. And so there is a unity of the crucifixion, the Pascha, the Easter, the resurrection, the ascension, and also Pentecost, the giving of the spirit in a single hour, right? It's all put into this moment of being lifted up. Upon this event, when the Spirit is given and then the insight is given, John says this in John chapter 12, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him 
And they had done these things to him. Now they understand. And so Jesus is lifted up on the cross. He's lifted up from the grave. He's lifted up to the Father in the singular hour of his glory. And this is the insight from which John writes his gospel. And that's why we call it an apocalyptic gospel. Out of the trial, the injustice, the crucifixion, the death of Christ, there is a lifting up in which from time's center, there is a new ordering of reality. And I believe it's through that lens that we should apprehend the reality of beginning and end. The culmination of this new order is pictured, and this is where I'd like to close, in the closing scenes of the book of Revelation, often called the Apocalypse. And of course, it's the writer of the Gospel that writes the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation 21, 1-6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven, from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without pause. And then verses 22 to 23. Guess what? There is no temple. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Here is the fulfillment of the cleansing of the temple. Here is the temple that has been lifted up. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God, the original illumination, has illumined it and its lamp is the lamp. And then in 22, 1 to 2, the river of life. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the lamb. Here is the temple, the true temple. Here is the water of life springing from that temple in the middle of its street. And then on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.